next up, we've got Naomi Ballantyne from Partners Life. Naomi's the uh, Managing Director, and today we're going to talk about um, advisor businesses and, and, and getting them ready for the future, plus a little bit of an update on their upcoming roadshow. Welcome, Naomi, and thanks, thanks. thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, financial advisors have got this big regulation change coming up, and they've got to get their businesses ready for licensing. How well prepared do you think they are at the moment? Um, I think it's quite difficult to be prepared because a lot of the detail is still completely unknown. But you can't sit there and not do anything. You can can't, you, you're right. And I think the detail is not necessarily the thing that will get you a licence, which is, I think, something that a lot of them are not really thinking through. Mm. With any regulated industry, we regulated, mm, mm. Um, and relatively recently, mm. I would have to say, um, there's some things that regulators look at to licence mm. people in the industry to determine whether they are a... Uh, an entity or a person that mm. deserves a licence. Mm. Um, and that is much wider than the detail of of the product that you sell or the way in which you do your job. So um, I think that there's quite a lot that people can do now to make sure they are seen as a licensed So, so what sort of things should a risk, <coughs> no, excuse me, a risk advisor be thinking about you know, that they can do now so that they're starting to get ready? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of really basic things that any regulator is looking for. One is, are you financially viable business uh, is number one, right? Um, so You'd hope that most insurance advisors are. Absolutely, but you need to have accounts that demonstrate that, right? Yeah, you need yeah. to be able to demonstrate that you have a business that, you know, that you can that you can take a set of accounts and show someone and say, look, here's, here's my profit and loss over the last X yeah. number of years, etc. So I think yeah. that's actually going to be quite an interesting challenge See, but that's, for some uh, To me, that's just the basic thing you do running a business, isn't it? It should be, but... Yeah. Financially viable is not just having a set of accounts. But yeah. Yeah, it's having a business mm. that you can see is going to be a robust going concern. Yeah, okay. um, so what other things should they be thinking about? So um, you've got to have accounts and be viable? Yeah, and I think fit and proper is interesting. So some brokers' practices, when there's only you, it's relatively easy to demonstrate, maybe, to demonstrate mm. that you're fit and yeah. proper, that you haven't had a criminal conviction and you haven't mm. you know, been charged with fraud or um, you know, run away with people's money, etc. But if you're responsible for other people, if you have a slightly bigger business and you have a board of directors, for mm. example, then it's really important that that board of directors actually has the wherewithal yeah. or the capability of taking the liability that directors take. Yeah. And, and driving the business <coughs> forward. So they're fit and proper directors that have, there's mm. a reason for them to be on the board of a financial services organisation that adds value to the consumer mm. at the and, end of the day. And how about their qualifications and their professional development? Is that yeah. something else? Absolutely it is. Mm. And I think there's an argument saying we don't know what the qualifications are going to be required, but I can absolutely guarantee you that there are no qualifications that will be wasted yeah, yeah. Uh, because learning is the really important part of that too. Um, and so even if you don't know in the end what the qualification is going to be, doing some study now that is in line with the industry that you're in yeah. um, won't be wasted and might help with being able to demonstrate you're a fit and proper person. So, uh, yeah. don't know if you know the answer, but you know, with insurance advisors, where do you, do you think many of them have like tertiary qualifications and level five certificates or anything like that? Not many. Not many. Um, those are two different qualifications. Yes, there. yes, yeah. I, And I would say there's probably a bigger group of younger ones that have tertiary qualifications in any case. But the older ones. That's right, yeah. um, that's right. Um, and in terms of level five, I don't think that there's many. Um, but the, and there's few. no reason why you can't do that or but start level five down that is, path now. You know, as as uh, Fred Dodd says at the IFA, you know, kindergarten teachers have to have level seven, um, yeah. you know, which I always think is quite a good way to um, yeah. of, of 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 demonstrating that level five is not particularly high. Um, 
other things that they need to do. So, you know, I think one of the things is thinking about whether they want to be an advisor or what licensed entity they want to belong to and, and, and also what the groups are going to do around their members. Yeah, and I think that's a really difficult question mm. for a lot of them as well because you don't know how much it's going to cost for an individual to get a licence. So you may think that you want to be licensed on mm. your own and you would have to say logically getting a licence for yourself would be a lot easier than getting a license where you have to demonstrate you can control other people, yeah. right? Um, uh, but mm -hmm. if the cost of that is uh, the only way it can be born mm. is with scale, mm. then that cuts that then conversation you're actually going to have to out completely. That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. But I also think it's interesting because you know, um, belonging to the, the dealer groups, the aggregation yes. groups, it's certainly you know I think one thing which is clear is it's going to get much more expensive to, yes. to and those groups are actually going to have to do a lot more about they can't just be aggregating for commission, they actually have to be delivering real services now. Do you, what are your views on a sort of a shake up there? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, they, I guess they have a choice, they can become licensed entities, mm. um, in which case they're gonna have to be selective about the people um, that they but, have But if they them. do that, I mean, a lot of the people who are members will not be members any longer, will they? Well, that's what I'm saying. They yeah. will probably have to be quite selective about, because you take liability on board yeah. for for the people that you yeah, have yeah. under your license so mm. you've got to be comfortable that that liability is not going to swamp you or mm. that you can demonstrate you've got the wherewithal to fund yeah. the liability in the event that there is a, an issue so i think if if any of them decide to become uh, licensed entities they'll get smaller before they get bigger um, and i also think that they have to invest quite a lot of money in systems and processes to control the outcomes for the consumers that they are now liable for yeah. um, in terms of the advice if they choose not to become licensed entities and they choose to be service providers mm. to licensed entities, then they're going to have to really consolidate on that service. Mm. Um, and it stops being about members and becomes a service that's offered to the industry for a fee. So there's a real change. It's not just growing your membership for the Absolutely. sake of growing it. It's actually you know having a group you can actually control and, and yes. manage. Yeah, it's going, to be, yeah. it's going to be a big change. Is anything else in that space they should be thinking about? Um, I think documenting what mm -hmm. you do. Even mm. if you think what you do will change with re licensing, it's much easier to change it and redocument it when you already know what Watch, it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people think they have a system or a process. What they mean is they do something similar all the time. Yeah. What they don't have is if someone was to come into my business, mm. I could demonstrate to them with a document that says every time I go and find a client, I do this. Mm. Yeah. Mm. This is how I use the system and processes. This is how I deliver my advice. Even if there wasn't regulation, yeah. that's the thing you have to sell, yeah. right? Because if you're, for an example, an insurance advisor mm. at the moment and you don't have documented processes, no one other than another insurance advisor can buy your client yeah. base off yeah. you and all they're buying is a client base. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you have a business that someone can come in and go, I can turn the key and run this mm. business, then you've got something that's more of more value. You have more buyers, more competition. Yeah. Well, um, look, that and that, and that, that's a massive thing that they actually have to start to do. I, I spoke to one of the banks recently and the person who ran their third-party distribution said there that in the mortgage space, some of their top writers don't even have a CRM system. And I'm sitting there going, you know, how can you do that in this day and age? I mean, it just can't be sustainable. Yeah. So we have a lot of conversation around regulation is going to force people yeah. to do some things. But you kind of go, but hang on a minute, a good should, business looks like we, this anyway. Should be doing yeah. it anyway. Exactly right. It's exactly right, especially one that um, wants to scale up, yeah. right? You, you need the shoulders or the infrastructure to, to build on, mm. otherwise you just fall over. You just throw volume yeah, and yeah. It, ultimately it falls over. Yeah, so um, I think licensed really, really, yeah. <laughs> if I could use another word, is, is 
a, running a viable business mm, mm. Um, that you can demonstrate to others as a viable business yeah. is a significant step towards. Um, so, do you think companies ready? like yourself are going to step up and help these guys to do it, or do they have to going to get off their butts and do it themselves? Um, I think we've obviously got a vested interest in having a robust advice distribution mm. network, and, and and for me, that's always been an independent advice distribution network mm. because I truly believe that clients being given choice mm. and and having an advocate that can um, hold a life insurance company to account, either with its products in mm. terms of what it's selling or at claim time, in terms of the decisions it's making, is the best answer for a client. If the industry is delivering the best answer for a client, that's good for the industry. Yes, we, yeah. we, we succeed, right? So mm. that's the reason for me being so focused on independent advisors. So we need a robust independent advice channel mm. going mm. forward. Um, so we, we will support people who are building the infrastructure to enable that to happen. So it's becoming more of a partnership type thing, I guess. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and quickly, just, you know, um, replacement business, you yeah. know, is any update on where we're going there or if the FMA is sort of going to come out with guidelines or, or what's happening in the I, market? I hope so. Mm. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time and effort with um, the officials talking through the risk to the consumer of replacement business, but also the value. Mm -hmm. to the consumer and replacement mm. business. And, and um, you know, in terms of trying to identify truly what the problem is, because you hear a lot of people talking yeah. about churn and they're often life companies that are losing business. Yes. Yeah, and so their argument is it's not fair, I've paid commission for mm. that, etc. Mm. And I go, but if your product's no good, mm. that's your fault and the client mm. should be moved. Mm. There's an awful lot of advisors who move clients when it's not in the client's best interest. Are there or, a lot who do that? I think there are, and the really interesting thing I would say to you, Philip, and the thing that I've most struggled with in all of my career, is when people talk about churn and the FMA does it too, they go, that advisor is rolling their book from one company to mm. another, and there's very little of that. Mm. Right? Well, it's actually, for example, we have a lot of advisors who give us 100%, close to 100% of their business because they believe for most clients we're the right answer. Mm. And our product ratings support that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so, but then when they come across a client that someone else sold for us, they may sell that client mm. something else yes, yeah. and roll them out. And I don't know how you live with yourself um, mm. if you do that or how you justify that. Mm, if mm. you've sold all these people this product but everyone you find that isn't one of yours that's in that product you move, right? Good, so, yeah. and it won't only be us, mm. it'll be other companies that also have that issue. That's the, that's the problem, mm, mm. right? So replacement business in itself is not the problem, it's the reason for the replacement it's the, it's business the and the risk to the client in doing that. So, so I, I hope that we come out with some guidelines that say, here's the process you have to follow if you're gonna give mm, replacement mm, advice. Mm, mm, mm. And the process will cut out the opportunistic people who are just rolling it because yeah. it's too much like hard work mm. and too much effectively liability mm. on their part to do it. Mm, mm. It should be paid commission if you do the right job, yes, right? Yeah. but then you should do the right job. And so I've always been about the process. Yeah. Um, we've got an advice process, you need a replacement process, it's yeah. even more robust because mm. there's more to lose. Absolutely. Client, right? And and do you think do you think the officials and the regulators and stuff have got their heads around, you know, the well, issue? Well, I've had some really engaging conversations mm. with them, but it's been some time since then. And I don't know what's progressed yeah. since then to understand yeah. whether they've they've tackled that point. There'll be a lot of vested interest in not. Mm. Uh, oh, because look, if you've be... got a distribution channel that doesn't want to have to do that work because that's hard and expensive, yeah. then maybe you'd be arguing against that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how who's winning in yeah. that argument. And, and finally, you've got a roadshow coming up soon. What's, what's, the, what's that about? 
Yeah, so the, the roadshow is trying to tackle the conversion rate from all the work that an advisor does to get an application through to a life insurance company and then all the work that we do to try and get yeah. it issued. Still about between 25 and 30% of those cases don't issue. So that's a lot of work mm. and a lot of clients that don't get cover when clearly the advisor had already done the work to convince them to take it. So this roadshow is about trying to educate advisors um, and give them some tools and some mm. ideas for how they might be able to get that stubborn yeah. 25 to 30% of clients across the line. Because it would make quite a big difference to everyone's business of that. Yeah, you don't have to sell an ex one yeah. more policy and you make 25% yeah. more and 25% and more clients get the cover that they need. Then yeah. that's got to be a good thing, yeah. right? Certainly it sounds like something that people should be getting along to. Oh, thanks again for your time, so. Naomi, and it's, it's great to see you here. Thank thanks, you. Philip. Yeah, cheers. Okay.